This weekend, man. This weekend was like the biggest weekend. You had the Sam Altman thing, okay, with OpenAI. You had Starship launch, yeah. right? Did you see that the CEO of Cruise resigned too? Yep. The he auto- tweeted, he tweeted it. <laughs> and then this guy, Javier, right, in, down in Argentina, becomes the president. It was like, this was like a jam-packed three days of news. You, you know what I mean? Just wild. And even if none of those other things happened, the open AI thing is crazy. Like, I, I can't remember. Well, we're going to ask you about that in a minute. All right, let me let me introduce you. So, hey, everyone, <laughs> you are joining us in, in progress. Uh, I'm talking to my friend Aaron Dillon. Uh, just for a quick background, Aaron is managing director of AG Dillon & Co., a venture capital asset manager for financial advisors and individual investors. Aaron co-founded CraneShares ETFs, has had stints at SoFi, FTSE Russell, TD Ameritrade, Morgan Stanley. Aaron is uh, the man these days. He is mostly talking about venture capital-backed companies that are on the runway for an IPO. Uh was this as crazy a weekend just across the board for everything that you follow? Or like, what what do you think is, people seem to be excited again, I guess is what I want to say about privately held companies like OpenAI. There's excitement out there. Tons of excitement, but OpenAI and SpaceX, huge, huge events for both companies this weekend. And those are the two darlings in the space, right? So I want to talk about SpaceX uh, specifically today. And uh, by extension, we'll talk about Starlink. You have been talking about SpaceX for a while. And a lot of people underappreciate what that business's potential might be. They understand that it's Elon Musk. They understand that it's rockets. Sometimes they catch the launch on on TV. But for the most part, there's not a lot of public investor awareness in what SpaceX is all about. Why don't you start with a little bit of an overview just so we can catch everybody up? Okay. So SpaceX is a um, payload, space payload delivery and satellite internet company right now. Okay. These folks and, and people may have seen the videos, right? But they can, they have developed technology that will send a rocket to space, deliver a payload, and then they land the rocket back down on Earth, right? Um, because they land the rockets, the cost for them to send a, a rocket into space, payload into space, is dropped dramatically. It's very inexpensive for them to do that. What would be in the payload? This is like um, restocking the uh, the space station or bringing a satellite up or, or something to that effect. That's exactly it. Yeah. And, or, yeah. So, or in huge, so, you know, uh, uh, materials or kind of goods or resources up to the spaceship, but also people, right? So they've been Coffee. sending astronauts up. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, they got to get, get that stuff up. hundred percent, hundred percent. What percentage of uh, SpaceX's revenue comes from government contracts, stuff that NASA is paying them to do or the military versus any other commercial endeavors out there? It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a healthy majority, right? So I don't have the specific numbers, but they won like a $5 billion deal with NASA to send astronauts to the moon, for example, right? They just did uh, Starshield, which is a big, you know, uh, kind of military grade satellite internet solution for uh, Space Force, right? Which is right. a division of the military. So yeah, a lot of revenue coming from, uh, from the government. This is going to be a $30 billion annual revenue business. Some new financials just came out from SpaceX. I actually think it's going to be a $41 billion business in five years' time, Josh. So this would, this would automatically be a $250 billion IPO in a, in a good market. Do you see it that way? Or maybe, maybe it would be way lower because maybe profitability is years off. Like what, how do you think they're going to treat this thing when it comes out? 
Yeah. So, so these new numbers that came out were dramatic, right? So maybe I could just run through that and then talk to yeah. you about the, 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 what the IPO could look like. So the, just in the last two weeks, they hit on a couple things. So one, they're forecasting $9 billion in revenue this year for 2023, which is a billion dollars higher than they had previously announced. Next year, they're looking at $15 billion of total revenue. But the real kicker here is $10 billion of that $15 billion is going to come from Starlink, which is the satellite internet business. So Starlink, for those that don't know, they start because SpaceX can send rockets up and land them back on Earth and do that in such an inexpensive way, they are sending like 100 uh, deliveries, payload deliveries in space. More than half of those are Starlink satellites, their own satellites. Their own they have stuff. Five, okay. Their own stuff. So they have 5,000 satellites in space right now. Okay. That's internet, for, that, like internet coverage for the whole world. And they're now starting to commercialize that, right? So they have 2 million subscribers, but they're starting to ramp that up. It's starting to go up very high. So 10 billion in revenue next year. And that number is going to continue to grow. So Josh, what's my point? Like I forecast this out. I have it at $41 billion of revenue in five years time. I think it's a 23X revenue multiple. That's um, about $980 billion company. That's incredible. That would be, so if you're right, that would be an 800% uh, revenue increase from whatever they did in 2022, which is four and a half billion. So if yep. they got to 41, that would be one of the fastest growing large companies of all time. Yeah. So the 23 revenue multiple might even be small when you see companies growing this fast. I mean, Starlink like didn't exist a year and a half ago, right? Now yeah. it's going to be a $30 billion annual recurring revenue business in five years time. That, that's like, that might even be like a 30 times revenue. So 23 might be conservative. Um, just incredible. Most people have heard of Starlink predominantly because of its use during the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, but that is not the only thing that it's for, is, is linking up the internet to users in places that don't have great uh, internet options. That's like an obvious use case, and it's the one that you've heard most about. Why would a business or a government or a household choose to become a Starlink customer? Yeah, so I think I, most people that I talk to um, – they frankly just live in a place that the satellite, the internet service is horrible, right? So all of a sudden you get Starlink, they ship it to your house. They set, it takes like a couple of minutes to set up and it's like perfect 5G internet service. It's great. So like as an example, I have an advisor that I know in California lives up in the mountains, can never get good internet, right? All of a sudden he gets Starlink. He's got perfect internet. He couldn't use the telephone. He so they're going to, they're going to compete with, they're going to compete with charter and, and Fios and like head to head, they're going to be up against some of the biggest telecom yes. players. Josh, and the network a, is proprietary. It's theirs. 100%. And they did a deal because the satellites orbit in a low orbit. They just did a deal with T-Mobile. So if you get to a spot where your T-Mobile phone doesn't work, it's going to connect directly to a Starlink satellite. So you can talk on your telephone. How long will SpaceX be the owner of Starlink? This sounds like an obvious spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely the buzz uh, out in the market that they're going to spin off Starlink. There, just recently, just in the past week, there was some buzz that it might go at late 2024, uh, maybe early 2025. So uh, Musk sent out a tweet, said that's not happening. Um, but I, got, I think you're right. I mean, it, it's, it is profitable. They announced that this past week as well. So Starlink, the business itself is now profitable and it's starting to grow very fast. So all this revenue is going to start dropping to the bottom line. Um, it's prime for an IPO. I you know think. what's so you know what's so funny? People that 
despise Elon Musk or they think he's an anti-Semite or whatever, like the latest reason people hate him. They take like glee in the fact that Twitter is such a piece of shit and it's falling apart, but they don't understand how little that really matters when you're such a large shareholder in something like Starlink and SpaceX and like the optionality of these businesses. They're not even public yet and they're doing billions of dollars in revenue. I think like people don't understand Twitter could disappear tomorrow and Elon Musk financially will be fine. Yeah, I think Twitter is a, a passion project for him. And that's also getting into AI now as well, Twitter. So I could talk to you all afternoon about how that business is changing. Well, so but- he's 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 now playing with the idea of uh, Twitter becoming a part of the larger XAI effort, which, of course, would instantly give it a market cap of $700 billion and yeah. <laughs> bail yeah, so out he, his, well- his equity. In fact, Josh, he, uh, he just announced, I think it was on Friday, uh, that X, X Corp, Twitter, will own 25% yeah. of XAI, right? And yeah, I mean, so there, there's that's turning into an AI business. Twitter's turning well, into an data. AI business. I mean, the value of Twitter, according to people since it was public, even before it was public, the, the value theoretically was always in the data and what right. you could do with the data, blah, blah, blah. And maybe nobody yeah. really had a great use for it. And uh, AI might have a really great use for it. A so really great I, use for it. There, yeah, There's whole it. companies. Josh, there's a company called Hugging Face and Scale AI. They, op, they like literally specialize in this type of data, providing data to developers so they can develop these large language models. And that's what, that's what this is. And those are multi-billion dollar companies already. And they're just getting started, right? So right. yeah, I, I, much different thing. But the, the, I got to tell you though, the important thing about Starlink, this is the thing. So not your points on how this is a big business and it's throwing off a lot of cash is really important. The other thing that I think a lot of people don't think about with Starlink, if someone wanted to compete with them, how do you get the satellites to space? You got to pay Elon to send them up. You got to pay SpaceX. Yeah. So I, one, I guess, would you I guess, do that? I guess, I guess Bezos could- theoretically be in a competing business and launch satellites. I don't, there's not like five other options, right? Is that no, what you're saying? Uh, no. Uh, okay. th- I mean, the only game in town right now is SpaceX and the Chinese government. And the Chinese government hasn't figured out how to land rockets back on earth successfully yet. So the cost okay. to send that, to send those rockets up is really high. So they're like lapping. SpaceX is lapping people on launches. They're going to do a hundred this year and more. Yeah. I don't know how much you're allowed to say about this, but I was reading that you have successfully placed a certain amount of SpaceX stock in your fund with your investors, and your investors are qualified purchasers or um, high net worth people who meet the who meet the level at which they can consider this, and Correct, they're being yeah. introduced through financial advisors. That's your that's your business. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I work with financial advi- and accredited investors. Yeah, that's right. You got it. Of course. You got so it. what are you hearing about the IPO timing? And I know things are subject to change and the market condition is going to be part of the conversation, but like, what's the latest on when we might see documents for a SpaceX IPO? Yeah, I, I think um, 2024, 2025 is probably is when it was going to go. I, I feel, I feel, I think more confident based on the conversation I'm having that that will happen in 2025. Okay. So it's not in a rush, but it's also not never. It's, it's like within, it's within a, a year and a half. We, we think it's yeah, likely. De- definitely. And I think that, look, I think there, there's a, a component of unlocking value. And I think that's why they'll do it. I don't think that they're going to need the capital. They're not going to need any of that. I think they're literally just going to, if they bring that thing public, it will be able to unlock value and people will bid up the price and that will help with the 
the mission to Mars is really, I think, where, where we'll come back to. This is one of the really interesting things about SpaceX. Obviously, it's been successful. It's got government contracts. It's got unique, one-of-a-kind technology. It's got a huge lead in things like landable rockets. But like the entirety of this thing was funded privately. And in no prior generation has there ever been something of this magnitude that did not require funding from the public equity markets. It's right. just, it's never happened before. So theoretically, if they're going to wait till 2025, they could be a $15 billion revenue company coming to market on, on the way to 20 or 25. We've never seen anything like that. This will instantly be one of the biggest deals ever if, if that's what the fundamentals look like at that time. That is yeah. an incredible situation. And it's, it's pretty awesome. Like profitability, maybe who cares, but like three years later, something to that, yeah. you know, Tesla took its time. Nobody yeah. really seemed to mind very much. Um, yeah. So a lot of things about the world have permanently changed. Nor, the point I'm making is that for financial advisors uh, to get exposure to high-tech, cutting-edge stuff like this, historically, they've been able to do it by taking plain old public market equity risk. They could pick the stock. They could deal with the volatility. So that's not even an option anymore. Like This is going to come public way late in the game like a lot of yeah. other giant uh, companies like Snowflake, et cetera, have. We don't know what the valuation will be when it comes public, but this is now an environment where people want to own this thing way before the IPO. And you know, vehicles like yours have come along to enable it. Look, Josh, I th there, there's this yeah, idea of asset allocation, right? I think to your point, these companies would IPO when they had like a billion dollar valuation. You get them in the Russell 2000, you live through it all the way through the S&P 500. And then they're yeah. in the top 25 SP. That's not happening anymore. So, I, you know, as asset, this is a little cheeky to say out loud, but I could see a potential where there's, you know, U.S. equity and you have a, a, a public market allocation and a private market allocation. Because these yeah. companies are not like two kids in a garage, to your point. These are massive, privately held, venture backed, like growth uh, technology companies that, yeah. you know, has just a very different risk profile. So I call it venture capital, but it might be a little, that might be a little of a stretch. I think one of the things that's materially changed is that you used to have these arbitrary limits on how many shareholders you could have and stay a, a privately held company. But now you've got this new layer of exchanges and funds that are pooling the assets of many investors and giving them away on a pooled basis to be on the cap table. Like their name is not on the cap table, but they're invested in a fund that is. That's what's changed. And some of that is a technology story. Some of that is a regulatory story. Some of that is just about the fact that there are eye-popping uh, opportunities for growth that are occurring way before IPO status for yes. a lot of these uh, situations. So I think you've got this really interesting thing where Maybe in 2021, you would, have, you would have said, all right, but this is just part of this moment. And then they'll raise rates and you'll see all the private capital to these companies will get cut off. All right, well, they did that. And that is not what has happened. There, right. there is still a healthy demand for pre-IPO startups. The valuations may be lower. There's maybe a return of sanity to this market. But who among the investing public would say that that's a bad thing? No, I think this is great. I think it's great for investors. It's great for these companies too. So yeah, I mean, and these companies, while the valuations have come down, they continue to deliver results, right? right? 
And, that's and, right. and I think that's, they're still high growth companies. They're, you know, high double digits, triple digit growth, year over year growth. And they have, they're massive businesses and they're technology businesses so they can scale. I don't want to do a huge deep dive into this, but before I let you go, I want to hear, uh, want to hear from you on uh, this weekend's events in OpenAI. And let's just okay. tell people, full disclosure, you have shares in OpenAI in one of your funds? Correct. Yeah. So you have some investors who are in OpenAI, and the only reason they were able to get in is because they got in through you. Correct. That's right. And that stock's valuation over the last year has just been a rock, like a, like like launched by a launched by a rocket. I mean, yes, we we, yes. we also have not seen anything quite like that in a long time. It's a special, yeah, special thing. The last round it was worth eighty five billion or ninety billion. Is that is that accurate? It's a, that's correct. Yep, that's right. Okay, so when you see this news breaking, and you're not in, you're not an owner of Microsoft, you're invested directly into OpenAI. What are your, like your initial thoughts? Like, uh oh. They better not lose Sam. I, I could yeah, I'm, I'm listen, guessing, I mean, can imagine. It was a surprise, right? I mean, I think I think folks can agree with that. It was a surprise. And it's still evolving now. I mean, even as we speak, I mean, there, I mean, you know, uh Satya Nadella sent out a tweet this morning at 2:30 a.m., right? So I mean, this is this is moving fast and it's a developing situation. I think what's important, at least the way that I view it, is that I talked to a few of my developer buddies over uh, software developer buddies over the weekend, right? And there's a couple of things that fell out. So one, you can't build these large language models in like a weekend. So Josh, like you and I got together and said, hey, let's go start a large language model AI company. It it takes these guys were telling me it takes five years to build something like OpenAI. So the lab, the lab that Microsoft is going to make available to uh, Sam and the other people who defect, Greg Barker, yeah, they're not going to have a product. In six months, nobody should think that they will. Yeah, it's going to take years. So that was the one thing. Capital was the other. It takes like at least like you know a couple two to two to five billion dollars of capital just to even build one of these things. Microsoft, Google, they don't have problems with capital, but a startup company would have a would have problems you know raising that much capital. And then three, they're like, look, ChatGPT four is the best large language model in That's the marketplace. Right. That, doesn't go, doesn't, that go doesn't go anywhere. Doesn't go anywhere. Okay. And, That's and then they were also That's telling. Uh, yes. And then the, and this developer day that OpenAI had, so these new solutions that they just brought out for developers in the last uh, week and a half, they said those are like game changers, right? So this the tech community, I think, really has a strong affinity for what's been built there at OpenAI and what kind of, you know, what they have right now today. So, you know, my, my hope is that the, the board situation will get sorted, the executive team situation will get sorted. And they'll, you know, uh, continue on, I think, and take advantage of the opportunity that's in front of them. It's impossible to know. But if you had to guess, do they double down on the effective altruism thing and try to maintain their foundation status? And I know they just brought in uh, the guy from Twitch who has very much publicly sounded the alarm on moving too fast with um, generative AI. So I understand all that. But like, do they definitely go that way? Or- do they say, you know what, actually, the modern landscape requires us to spend a ton of money. And in order to do that, we need to move fast and be uh, profit focused, not altruism focused. And we have to shed this foundation status and go full blown competitor. Like there is that yeah. potential too that could happen here. Yeah, I, I would say so. Look, probably the best example is Anthropic. So Anthropic was a bunch of OpenAI folks 
right? So Anthropic's an AI company, large language AI company. It competes with OpenAI. Yeah, and Amazon has a big stake in it. And You okay. got it. So like, so that's what I'm saying. Like Anthropic is a company that leads with AI safety first and they're still doing this stuff and they're still kicking butt and they have a big valuation and they got Amazon investing in the whole thing. So, you know, like I, I think this is, um, you know, I, I think the folks that want to have safety first, you know, obviously that's now something that that's in with this current board at OpenAI, right? Yeah. I don't think that that really changes the trajectory of the business in a, in a super material way. And my proof point to that is looking at Anthropic, right? That company's still growing super fast. It's got a lot of uh, investor attention and they kind of lead with an AI, you know, kind of AI safety first uh, type model as well. So um, I just think, I think in a couple, maybe like one week's time, I think some of this stuff will get sorted out, Josh, and we'll have a much more clarity on what the opportunity looks like. Uh, well, we're we're, de- we're, gonna, we're definitely going to keep asking you about it, so you'll keep us. Okay. Uh, I know the story's moving very quickly, and probably yes. in the time that we've been talking, there have probably been developments. So we'll uh, yes. we'll keep in touch on that. I want to tell people about your podcast uh, okay. and your your YouTube show because there are people that really want to be kept abreast of all of the details of all of the companies that are on their way to coming public, and you are becoming an authority uh, in the eyes of a lot of financial advisors like myself. So I want to make Thank sure you. that people know like where they can uh, follow you and learn more from you. Tell, tell people what the YouTube channel is called. Uh, yeah, so it's This Week in Pre-IPO Stocks. Uh, it's on Spotify and on all the, all the channels too. We post a lot of it on LinkedIn and, uh, and X too. But, uh, but big shout out to, my, to the two fellows I do the podcast with, Clint Sorensen, who's an outsourced CIO, uh, and runs a firm called WellShield. He's a great fellow. Tons of t- works with a tons of ton of RIAs and knows the business really. A great investor. And then uh, Nick Fusco is the CEO of Aveview, which is a secondary market pre-IPO stock pricing company. So he's like the Bloomberg of pre-IPO. I was going to tell you, I watch your stuff. You guys have a lot of horsepower, and thank you. Uh, I'm learning from you. So thank you for doing that. And we'll make sure our listeners check you out as well. And uh, let's have you back on. The world is moving a mile a minute, and uh, we want to keep abreast of all this stuff as public market investors. We want to know what's happening uh, behind the scenes in the private markets. And you're our, you're our guy. So thank you, Aaron. We appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. It's very nice of you. Thank you. You're the best.